and welcome to the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. I'm Chris. And today I'm chatting with Sri Shriram. So it's time to pluck, blow and vibe. Hello, hello, hello and welcome to the final episode of Series 6 of the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. And welcome to you wherever you are. And if you're a first time listener, you're of course most welcome. And if you're a regular listener, well welcome back. New or old, do what the wise folk do, and download all of our back episodes and fill your ears with the best jazz chat fodder available. Also, don't forget to visit watfordjazzjunction.com and find a link to hear our fantastic live video from the Emma Smith Quartet, and the only place where you can book tickets to see our live gigs with the Chrissingham Quartet in October and the Tony Kofi Quintet in the new year. Hurrah! Now, today, I am with an Indian and UK musical legend. One half of the baddest electronic drum and bass trip-hop duos the UK ever produced in Bad Martian Shree, fated composer of Just a Vibration that led to a right royal reception at the palace, collaborator across more musical genres than could be mastered by a mere mortal, jazz club and festival virtuoso known the world over for his instantly recognisable bass playing, it's composer, producer, musician, Shree Shriram. Shree, hello. How are you? Hello, Chris. Okay, I'm good. I'm good. Sitting here in the studio talking to you, which is great. <laughs> nice. And where's the studio? Where do I find you sitting today? Uh, it's in South London, in Croydon. Whoop, whoop, to the Croydon Massive. Um, and how's, how's, how's uh, the lunacy of the pandemic been affecting you? You know, the last few months and stuff. What's been going down? Oh, it's been difficult. But uh, apart from the difficult, I mean, looking on the other side, I've been I've been doing a lot of composition work. I mean, it's great to be a composer in this time. Um, I mean, writing or scoring for a film and writing for various things. So that's, that's good. That's really good, actually. Writing for film, what sort of? Indian, American, UK? For an Indian independent film, not a, not a typical Bollywood film with people running around the trees and singing <laughs> loudly, but uh, but this is more more left, it's more international kind of vibe, but it's an Indian film, you know, made set in Bombay and uh, in Kerala in South India. Y- you, mm-hmm. um, you grew up in Bombay, right? Yes. You know what the Jazz Junction listeners really want to know. They want to know your backstory. So you born in Bombay and then went, I'm going to play the bass when you were three and that's it, right? What's the, what's the story? Uh, the, the 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 simplest uh, form of the story is um, born in Bombay. Uh, started on I mean studied went to school and stuff you know to study uh, science and maths and stuff. But uh, alongside it was studying tabla, so I studied Indian classical music. Uh, went to college, uh, found um, found Black Sabbath uh, for the first time. Uh, listened to heard Paranoid, and I wanted to play that sound at the back which is the bass um, and, and so taught myself bass after that uh, ended up becoming a bass player I, I was forced to compose one day by my drummer um, who just said I lock you up in the room till you've composed a song so I was like oh, okay fine I don't know how long it's going to take me to compose but about after 10 minutes I had a tune with for my parts for my drummer and for my keyboard player they played it and and I suddenly just became a composer then uh, which was fantastic and So how old were you? I was 19 then I think. Oh, I uh, yeah 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 and then uh, then suddenly started composing and then got into weather report and music like that that started influencing me lots lots of jazz and various other Mahavishnu orchestra etc. So hold on a second, Shri. Mm. I'm going to have to pause you at that point. So, yeah, grew up in Bombay, learning tabla, I presume, in the Indian classical music tradition, and then Black Sabbath. What? <laughs> How did that happen? I just 
college friends, you know. Ah, right, man. I, I, I had, I had started learning how to play guitar in the in, in the meanwhile uh, from a bunch of friends that everyone thought we were a, a group of losers, you know, sitting sitting in dark corners smoking cigarettes and <laughs> playing guitar kind of thing. First tune I learned was Stairway to Heaven, which was quite nice, and then Dust in the Wind, etc. And uh, nice, Hotel nice. California. And very quickly, I realized guitar was not my instrument, even though I like to write on it. But bass was truly my calling. Yeah, and then started composing and started writing more jazz music, whatever jazz means. Mm. Um, and got discovered by an English guy called Simon Dove, who was in Bombay, went to a record store, found my first album, found me through various connections. Don't forget, this is 1991. Uh, and there was no internet or, or uh, iPhones then, um, or WhatsApp or Snapchat. And uh, invited me to England to, to work with, uh, with, a, with, a, with a great band here. And that's what brought me to England, basically. Amazing. What a backstory. It sounds like a, a film or something. That's sort of, I can imagine this, this chap, Simon Dove, sort of hunting through uh, Bombay. Like, Have you heard of Shri? Have you seen him? And eventually finding you. How cool. It was a li- little bit like that, yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm romanticising it. And he eventually found you and the rest is history. I'm loving it. So yeah. the influence of India, does that sort of still feed your soul? Or are there other things? I mean, wh- wh- where where does your spiritual depth come from? Massively. From India, my spiritual depth really comes from the, the Himalayas, the mountains. That's where I think um, I, I found some connect. I mean, it's it's so cliche that you go to the mountains and 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 you sit there and you and you find yourself kind of thing. But it was literally that, without any substances or without any chemicals, and uh, just trekking and and walking through the through the mountains. It was a fantastic trek, you know, from five thousand feet to nineteen thousand feet and back. Uh, wow! Over fourteen days. Yeah, I'm I'm as Indian as Indian can be, but I'm also very British in many different ways. Best of both worlds, really. Do you find yourself being asked to be a representative of Britain in India? And do you find yourself being asked to be a representative of India in Britain? Is that a sort of space that you have? <laughs> strangely, neither. Um, huh. uh, I, I, I have never put myself down as one. I've, I've never come to England as the Indian musician, you know. And it's like the English people, when, they, when they're listening to me, they don't. a lot of times they don't even realise I'm an Indian, Indian musician, you know, or, right, or right. a musician of Indian origin. And likewise in in India, but I was an uh, I was an outsider, sort of ostracized kind of person in India because I was this weird dude playing this weird bass in weird ways, and and for them it was all jazz, was autumn leaves or misty, you know, and it was like there was nothing beyond that, and I refused to play that. Yeah, having made it in England. I, I I made this huge comeback in India, which was like, oh my God, this guy, he's from, he's our guy. He's gone to England. He's made it big there. And now he's coming back home and <laughs> welcome home, Shri, whatever. So, but yeah, it was good. Uh, I mean, there was a time where I, was, I would take my bass, put, carry my bass on my back. And the moment the plane landed in Bombay and I stepped out of the plane, the bass would just become a, a piece of luggage. It was no more my beloved instrument, you know, it's yeah. because I didn't, I, I stopped being a musician the moment I entered India. So, but now, now, now I go there as a musician. I work there a lot as a musician too. <laughs> yeah. Your bass itself is pretty special. There's a story behind that. I know, right. That did, did <laughs> yeah. you make it or someone made it for you? I, I can't, I can't remember. I, yeah. I know there is a story behind your very, specific and unique base right yeah there's this there's, there's a story behind everything in my life because <laughs> because each thing was an exploration and a discovery i mean the base was simple i i, I couldn't afford to buy a base and and i wanted a fender you know fender precision fretless and blah blah you know fender jazz fretless yeah of course uh, too too much for my father to pay for it was too expensive and then 
Along the way, I was also studying violin, but the, you know, fingering on the violin is so close and delicate and the bass is big and brutal. So I decided to stick to bass, but then picked up the bow, started playing on the bass, found this sound and then decided I'd just make myself, uh, make an instrument for myself just uh, till I can become rich and, and buy myself this amazing bass. So I made this bass in 1991. It became central to my life it's uh, it's became my sound it became became absolutely everything it's the only instrument i play in fact uh, a, a very interesting story for for jazzers uh, i love saying this because they 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 get really sometimes envious or sometimes jealous of me with the story but uh, but in oh 1991 I, while i was still making the bass right i'd cut the shape out I went to Singapore, I went to Hong Kong. My first step was Hong I was going to LA. Uh, in Hong Kong, I put the pickups on it and then I played in the jazz club and then went to LA to play at John Coltrane Jazz Festival. That was on his death anniversary. Wow. This was my first trip abroad. And before we played John Coltrane Jazz Festival in the friend's house, Alice Coltrane coming there every day. And I was like, who's Alice Coltrane? And it's John Coltrane's wife. And she came with Ravi Coltrane and his cousin. Okay. And I don't know, but maybe his cousin is Flying Lotus, but whatever. So these guys <laughs> sitting in, s- sitting with us and chatting for days. And, and I, Alice Coltrane is just a nice, nice woman. And then, then I go to John Coltrane Jazz Festival. Miles Davis was supposed to come to the gig. And Al Shero is the compare. I have no idea who these people are. I'm just coming out of Black Sabbath and all this stuff. And Miles Davis died that morning. Okay, that very morning he died. Yeah, he passed away. And it was suddenly became a very somber affair, the whole thing. Here we go, band from India uh, on stage. One, two, three, four, no sound. The only sound was bass and drums because someone had messed up and not unmuted the, the mixing desk. So no keyboards, no vocal, nothing. So Al Jarrah walks back onto stage and it's like, no, no, and stop, stop, everyone stop. And and he gets on the mic and starts really shouting at the sound engineer saying, the beautiful band from India, how can you do this? And while they were running around thinking what's not plugged in, etc., he starts doing take five. And, um, and uh, he's doing take five on the microphone and everyone's staring at me because I'm the only guy with sound. <laughs> Play with him, play with him. And all I can think is, I don't know the changes that come afterwards. <laughs> so I started playing bass percussion with him. So there is a video somewhere I'm still trying to find of Al Shero singing Take Five with me playing bass percussion. It gets one step better after this, right? This is impossible. Then, of course, I see Alice Coltrane play and I'm I'm in absolute shock, you know, when she played Virgo. And I'm just like, what? The- okay, this is Alice Coltrane. Her double bass player comes to me and because I'd played with a bow on my bass, they had been touched by the spirituality of the sound, you know. Nedra Wheeler, she comes and gives me this huge hug and starts talking to me for hours and I'm like, I'm a nobody, man. I'm from Bombay. I just made this bass because I don't have the money to buy a bass. And the cream was this man comes up to me, black man with a bit of a white goatee and he comes and says, bro, come here. And he gives me this huge hug. And for, for two minutes, I'm like, and I'm asking everyone, who's this? And it's, it's Pharaoh Sanders. It's Pharaoh Sanders. What? <laughs> I didn't even know who it was. And, and I was suddenly like, okay, okay. I've heard of Pharaoh Sanders. Of course, now I value and treasure every moment of that. And I, I know these people, I've listened to them uh, a lot, but that was my first trip abroad from India. <laughs> Unbelievable. I bet that's going to be one of the best tales we've ever had on the Junction Tree. I mean, that's proper, right? People think I'm a show-off when I tell the story, mainly mainly to people who are John Coltrane fans and stuff like that. But 
but they don't realize I didn't know who, who was who. I mean, I knew a little bit. Joel yeah, Coltrane okay. is some saxophone player, you know, and Pharaoh Sanders is a musician, you know, so that sort of thing. And this is bonkers. <laughs> I, I love it. So I was chatting in um in my last episode uh, with my sister about her performance mm. and improvisation. She's a classical soprano, right? And I was talking about jazz. And we were being a little bit simple and reductive. But basically, she was saying her worst, worst nightmare would be to find herself in that situation where, you know, someone shouts up, hey, start accompanying Al Giraud, and you haven't a clue what's happening. Mm. Was it the the young bravado in you was it the musical expression in you was it hey i've got nothing to lose what sort of helped you not run off the stage and sort of hide as opposed to you know sort of stand your ground and go well listen i mean that's a massive deal it it, it is uh for for one uh i i have i have no fear of musicians uh i don't fear anyone uh I, I, I'm, I'm always hopeful that uh, whoever I meet, I mean, whoever it is, is, is a nice person. That's all I want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I, I don't, it makes, it makes no difference whether you can walk on the stage and, and there's, you know, 100,000 people going insane or you play to one person. And so uh, I have a fearlessness or, or stupidity. I don't know which, whichever one you want to call it. It's because it's it sort of borderline, you know, like sometimes when you ask a hero, why he ran into a burning building to save a child. He's like, I was terrified. I have no idea what made me do that. You know, so it's some, it's sometimes it's a combination of either idiocy or, or, or bravery. And it's, you never know which one is which. So I was definitely not going to play bass. Uh, doom, 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 doom. Okay, that's fine. But what happens Yeah, exactly. I've never worked it out. You know, it's like a Led Zeppelin black dog, you know. Uh, the the track Black Dog has this middle it goes into this odd time if you've not worked it out you cannot jump on stage and just jam it you know and then I just thought the the what I found in many situations even playing at the Vortex here I was invited to a jam at the Vortex and and with heavy jazzers you know and and all these people and yeah, yeah, yeah. and and what happens is I find I don't try to compete. The thing is, if I was to compete and try to be Ron Carter, I'm not. I'm going to be wrong Carter. That's all I'm going to be. You know? <laughs> but what I do find is, what can I do that's different? Uh, that will still fit. So uh, in a lot of situations, there's all these heavy jazzers with you know saxophones and trumpets and trombones, and I bring my Indian flute, and I just play what I can in what I hear. Or I go into tabla, you know, and that and the drummer and me lock into that. He could be playing, uh, you know, bebop uh, style swing, and I can I can do that swing with my with vocal. So that's what happened at Algero too. It was just immediately. I don't know the changes, but I know bass picker and boom, you know, I can do that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was that sort of thing basically. Yeah, you know. It's not always appreciated, but uh, it works sometimes. Hey, <laughs> hey I've sat in enough of your audiences. It's always appreciated. <laughs> um, so I, th- I think we sort of semi-preempted my next question, but I'm interested to push it a bit further. So you played with some wonderful musicians, right? Your whole life. But I know of recent years, there's some repeat offenders uh, like Ben Castle, Dennis Rollins, uh, Boogle Wesseltoft. Do those guys have something in common? Or is it, you know, they're just nice? Or is there something else that, that happens that makes you you all want to work together and, you know, add more to the to the mix? Since since Badmash and Tree, which was Badmash and Tree was more like a pop band, if you like, you know, it was a drum and bass, but it was it was you worked out you worked it out if your piece was four minutes and 
38 seconds. It was four minutes and 38 seconds on stage, but I would try and extend it a little bit. But since <clears throat> since I met Booger Wesseltoft, uh, I went back into a world that I had started off at, you know, at the very beginning. And, and it was about improvisation. It was about... It was not. It was not a competition. It was never a competition. And <clears throat> and this is what I find with the people I like to work with now. There's there's no competition. It's not like if you can play fast, I can play faster. If you can play beautiful, I can play more beautiful. None of that. It's just like, wow, that's your expression, and this is mine. Fantastic. I love your expression, and that person saying I love your expression. And <clears throat> this this is the commonality I find with Bugge, with Ben Castle, with Dennis Rollins. Uh, and with uh, Tora Brunberg and Arild Anderson and all these various people I've played with, you know, I mean, Arild Anderson, my God, is a legendary double bass player who can run circles around me when it comes to bass, but he doesn't run circles around me, you know, and that's a beautiful thing. He he finds me interesting, uh, and it's like, oh, really, you do all <laughs> you do that, and and I find him interesting. So it's it's always on that awe level, you know, of. Uh, children in a playground you know it's like we just want to play a game we're not interested in uh, and, and and that that spirit and and yes they're all very nice people that really helps because if you're not a nice person i ain't working with you <laughs> so we, we've just referenced daryl anderson there uh, and, and booger fair amount they're both pretty prominent right on your mm. most recent album or, or certainly the album that came out just before lockdown yeah the letter oh, which is the letter yeah, yeah yeah which i was very very happy and privileged to see your sort of uh launch gig at such uh, at ronnie scott's and we all squeezed <laughs> yes. in there just before we we're all shut down right the from... launch gig and the only gig <laughs> yeah exactly okay. yeah, exactly it's going to become legendary that one yeah. what was the sort of backstory to the letter how did that come about the, the most important part of the letter was a letter uh, which which I received in 1993. This is when I'd started composing my jazz music. I, I always say jazz music with inverted commas. And I first came to England because of Simon Dove, as I'd said earlier. And and the fifth day I was here, I found that uh, Eberhard Weber was playing here with uh, with Jan Garbrek at uh, Royal Festival Hall. I made a quick demo demo cassette uh, and uh, rushed to there rushed there and somehow blagged my way backstage. I'm a friend of Thriller Gurtus. I need to meet Eberhard and whatever. So I was let backstage, uh, allowed backstage. I gave the cassette to Eberhard, who said, "I have no time for one month. I'll write to you after that." After one and a half months, I got a letter back in Bombay that said, "Shri, I heard your uh, Shri Kant. That was my full name at that point. I heard your yeah. cassette. Some nice music there." I really like what you're doing, and um, and and even more, I like the fact that you use your influences, your cultural influences, and otherwise we'd all be dubious bass players who all sound the same. And that letter completely and absolutely changed my life, and and it made me what I am. It gave me gave me the strength and the confidence to continue doing uh, what until that point was considered my weird playing was became my my mainstay. If Eberhard Weber, who I equate mm. with God in many different ways. I mean, God for me is just uh, Spinoza's God or, you know, like nature's God. And Eberhard says that, you know, I'm on the right path. Then then that's it, you know. And uh, so the letter was about that letter which I'd, I'd received, which I still have and which I still treasure. And Bugge Wesseltoft wanted to produce it. And uh, he's always after me to bring out the, the essential me uh, on bass. Uh, which he, I think he did very successfully on this album. And, um, you know, there's Badmash and Shri and all that, there's all that side of things, but about just the purity of what 
what could be the purity of my playing, which which is what we did when we played live together. And yeah, so it was about recording yeah. in his uh, in his cabin uh, up in the mountains in uh, in Norway, and uh, a lot of th- some things were just jammed uh, between Bugge, Paolo Vinaccia, the drummer, who's unfortunately not with us anymore. Yeah, yeah, so sad. And, some were just jams that I brought back and, and modified a bit. Some were compositions I took from here and went there and got Thora Brunberg and Arild Anderson to play. So it was a mixed bag, but uh, but it was just about being just me, you know, whatever me was. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll definitely put a link to the album in the, uh, in the, in the notes that go with the show. And I'll also put a link to, to Bad Marsh and Shree, uh, mm-hmm. to Signs as well. What was it about the drum and bass that, that drew you to what is probably to most jazz musicians, an alien genre, even though you can see similarities. <laughs> that was the best part of it all. It was a, a drum and bass for me. I, I land in England in 1994, yeah, first time. 94 is the time of jungle. Yeah. And I have no idea about all this. I, I yeah, yeah. You know what happened to me? I put on the radio, <clears throat> I heard this music. For me, it was Billy Cobham on acid. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and the best thing is, because of my tabla training, I can speak it. You know, boom, you know, I can I can do that. So it was a complete connect. I can I could see every whatever you call it, the quaver, crotchet, semi-quaver, etc. I could see, uh, I don't read or write Western music, but uh, I could see it all. I could I could connect with every one of them. And for me, it was literally Billy Cobham, one of my favorite drummers because of Marvishna Orchestra yeah. at that point. And him just playing, you know, nuts. And so that was the immediate connect. How did that then manifest? For me, it's simple. If I love something, I'll go towards it. I will bring it into my system uh, and then see whatever comes out. You know, it's it's like it's it's just like the, my, my system will give out whatever. You know, it's like uh, I just incorporate it into my system. It's like Alan Holdsworth, for example. I, I absolutely loved Alan Holdsworth's music. It's not the kind of music I'd listen to all the time, but I... Uh, for one week, I sat down, just listened to Holdsworth for a while. And then after a, a month, I wrote a composition, which had a bit of his feel, but it had me, you know, it was my composition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how it manifested. And, and you know, you asked me earlier whether I represent India in, 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 in the UK or UK in India. My my problem, which is also my pride, uh, has always been that I, I don't take myself too seriously. And, and I, find, I find jazzers taking them till... Too seriously, I find drum and bass taking themselves too seriously. You know, classical musicians too. Ser- it's like, oh, we only do classical, or we only play jazz. And what is jazz? It's only if it has those strange chords can it be jazz. And I mean, ECM music is not jazz, and you know all that kind of stuff. And 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 I I like to just surf everything and 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 find what is truly truly just calling out to me and rather than saying i must i mean for example i i i'm i've finally stopped being scared of saying i don't get john coltrane you know and and because because if you're a jazzer if you consider yourself a jazzer if you've played montreux jazz festival london jazz festival you should say oh man coltrane that's the greatest i don't get him i don't i can't listen to him so but but uh but Hey, that's my my thing. It doesn't make me any lesser or greater or lesser. You know, it's like I love the fact you've come to that stage in your life and you go, "Hey, it's just not for me." Yeah, it's not for me, and that's that. You know, simple as that. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Now, <laughs> do you know what is for you, Shree? Hmm. Are you ready for my brand new quickfire quiz challenge? 
Oh dear. <laughs> okay. It's called Shree's Four String Salute and his magnificent blowpipe special quiz. <laughs> Hurrah. Okay. Wicked. Dum, 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 dum. <laughs> right, you've got ten questions. Get ready. Uh-huh. Question one. Bass slap or bass bow? Bow. Nice. Tabla or flute? Flute. Curry or fish and chips? Curry. Favourite Ronnie Scott's pre-session haunt? The Coach and Horses or Garlic and Shots? Garlic and Shots. <laughs> Records, discs or keep it tidy and just go digital? Digital. Hmm. Your drum and bass legend. Is it going to be Ronnie Size, Goldie or LTJ Bookham? Ronnie Size for sure. Question seven. You're doing very well, by the way, Shri. I've, I've got you up to 211 at the minute. Excellent. <laughs> Keep it going. Uh, right. Question seven. Marcus Miller or Harold Anderson? Harold Anderson. Any day. Yeah, you've got to be, man. You might even be listening. Uh, question eight. Club or festival? Ooh, that's a tough one. Club. Man, all those festivals have just cancelled you. Um, <laughs> penultimate question. Led Zeppelin or Iron Maiden? Oh, that's impossible. Uh, Led Zeppelin. Boo, boo. No, brilliant choice. <laughs> um, and finally, the big one that everyone's been wanting me to ask. Um, Croydon or Watford? Croydon. Or you can have secret option three, Bombay. <laughs> what do you mean, Croydon? <laughs> Yeah, right. yeah, that's, that, that might be an easier option, Bombay. <laughs> yeah, no, you definitely said Croydon. Unfortunately, you had actually got to 300 points, but they've all just gone... <laughs> oh. Man, I'm so sorry. You were doing if so you, well up you, until then. If you then, told me what the scoring was, I'd have chosen more wisely. It's very complex. In fact, I'd say the, the scoring is spiritual. Right, man. Okay, so from something silly to something serious, this is my set question for you, Shree. Mm. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Valuing arts in the UK, what has the pandemic taught you? That the arts are the least important thing in the life of a, uh, of a government. Everyone wants art. Everyone wants a song accompanying their, their big march onto stage. Everyone wants a band playing before they speak and after they speak. Everyone wants music when they do their, BB, their BBC news broadcast. Uh, everybody wants a bugler playing when someone dies. Everyone wants the you know the, the London Philharmonic Orchestra to play when it, everyone wants to play at the Queen's Changing of Guards, etc., etc., etc. But it is an optional add-on. It's like buying a car where you don't really need the heated seats, you know, and that's that's an extra. If you if you think you can splash out, you buy heated seats, and that's what music has become for <clears throat> music feels like at the moment. I could be wrong, but that's this is my this is my uh, perception. All over the world, forget the UK, all over the world. I mean, you've been asked to retrain, uh, and you've been asked to uh, think of other things. Yes, I understand the, the, the sensibility behind finding other things to do when you cannot go into a club and play. I, I, I get that. Become a taxi driver mm-hmm. or become a chef or become an accountant or whatever, whatever is necessary. But art, in my opinion, uh, art is what keeps humanity alive. Um, art, music, theater, whatever, they're all, all included into one word, art. Uh, it is what keeps humanity alive. And... Humanity's so uh, got its head up its own backside at the moment that they feel like they do not need art, and and I think that's that's the that's the downfall of humanity. 
And this pandemic has taught us that we've learned nothing from, from you know, in, I, I would have imagined that we'd all go back and we'd say, we'd, uh, people would be just crying out for, for, uh, for art. Uh, just to say, I need mm. to hear some music. I want to play a busker playing on the street corner. I just, I just need to hear a live guitar. But forty thousand people at a football match, or, or, uh, or you know, uh, all that's allowed, and we can't have uh, festivals or gigs anymore. You know, so. Yeah, I think I think it's very telling. There's a couple of thoughts that are coming to mind listening to to what you're saying. One is that just awful reductivist assessment of life being survival. Hmm. Um. And you know, in a in a in a, in, a, in a modern economy, that's just like, well, have you only any money? Not the quality of life necessarily, and not what you then do with that or how you reflect on it. Mm, and mm. that's not to say that art has got the only answer. I mean, I believe there's a role for sport. I believe there's a role for oh yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. But how how can you know it be suggested that art isn't critical to human existence is beyond me, um, yeah. because it. It's it's been you know time immemorial that 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 people have sung, spoken, shared with each other. Yeah, it's just not economically worth considering, really. But it's interesting in itself, right? So it it it, get, it gets a functional role when you were talking about you know everyone wants a, a band to play before they go on stage and then come off, or they have some theme tune music or whatever, and we can talk about you know all the the stresses of politicians sort of using music that you as the producer you don't want them to necessarily play yeah, at their party yeah, critical yeah. whatever it is right <laughs> yeah but uh but again that that to me reduces music just to a functional thing and then it's like oh well, it's got some value you mm, know mm. thank god we can have someone sing the uh the national anthem before we play this sport or thank mm, gosh we can have mm. this great big anthem before we do something else mm. and there's still a point of that that misses the in my mind the very point of of art itself which is that's just you know that's just the cherry on the cake it was the process <laughs> it's the fact that how that will live on and all the things you say will resonate and then my my second point, just sort of thinking about it, and I know this is your interview, not mine, mine and I'm giving you quite a lot, but there's that Yuval um, Harari book, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. And in that, he explores a bit about the reductivist nature of music as well, that an algorithm can write ostensibly, if mm. you like Taylor Swift, it can might be able to reproduce it for you, and mm. she's had nothing to do with it. Does that sort of bleak outlook on the world of music trouble you or worry you or do you think there's something else that you know humans will survive musically no matter what's thrown at them i think i think art will survive um art has always survived uh, art has survived it being banned in certain cultures uh it, it has um it has survived everything. In fact, the more you ban it, the better it gets, because because all the all the frivolous uh, top level, um, in, insincere people uh, go away, and then all that's left is the people who really want to express and really want to create. Um, and um, yes, I, I think it survived just that for people like myself. Maybe I'm just selfish in what I'm saying, but for people like myself who who made it a career, made it a, a way of surviving and paying my bills, which is a, which is a reality, uh, uh, based on music. Suddenly, this this bill-paying uh, route has, is, is thinning out and decreasing. I'm not saying it's gone. It's not doom and gloom. Uh, the, the, hopefully, soon the pandemic will lift and then things will open up and suddenly everyone wants to, all they want to see for some time is music. I'm hoping. 
Uh, I am yeah. I am a cautious optimist all the time, but but yeah, but I'm also a realist uh, with to see with what's what's happening and and I and I and and I hate sounding like uh, art art art, you know, like it's like that's the only thing on this planet. There's this there's, there's people starving, there's people without food, there's people who are uh, who are got uh, religious uh, uh, you know things happening against them, but. I can only speak from my one corner of my world, uh, which I understand and which uh, which I hope to try and uh, get right at some point in my life. Uh, you know, I'm always learning and trying, striving to become, to, striving to understand what that expression is. I, I guess I'll never ever get it eventually, but uh, but the strive is what what we survive for. You know, and mm. yeah, that's that's what I think. I mean, I, I, I could we could talk for hours on this, and um, yeah, big big topic, big thoughts, but mm. really really interesting to hear your your assessment and take on it. Right, gang, we are at that stage of the show. We call it top three album time, and I'll tell you why. Because Shri, I'm going to ask you for your top three albums of all time. Uh-huh. Here we go. What's on your list? Top three albums. Well, I must say that the top three albums are the top three albums that really influenced me big time. Um, one is Mahavishnu Orchestra, Inner Mounting Flame. Um, yeah. yeah. Nice. The second one is El Shankar, Who's to Know. Um, uh, El, El Shankar, Shankar, Who's to Know. Okay, yeah, I don't he, know he's, a, he's a double violinist uh, and, uh, and, and it's the greatest expression of Indian classical music as, as far as I'm concerned. And it's an electric wow. double violin, and it's fantastic. And the third, the third album has to be Deep Purple's Machine Head. Man, oh yeah, that is fantastic. <laughs> so we've already got, so we've got the Mahu Mahavishnu Orchestra, we've got El Shankar, and we've got Deep Purple. M- machine Head, yeah. Bam, it's done. They're locked in. Thank you, Shri. <laughs> and again, you'll, you'll find Very links welcome. to those albums in the notes, gang. Um, right, finally. It is time to sort out our house band. As regular listeners Mm. will know, we have grown from 7 to 14 musicians in recent weeks. And that doesn't mean it's still not the tightest, slickest, sickest band in podcast show business. But, but, the numbers are out of control. So, we've got Vi Red, Sonny Rollins, JJ Johnson, Dizzy Gillespie, Marilou Williams, Leanne Carroll, Shirley Tete, Jaco Pistorius, Christian McBride, Zakir Hussein, Terry Lynn Carrington, Duke Ellington... Roger Dean and Fran Landersman, all making a pull on the uh, Watford Junction payroll. Something has to be done. And you know what I'm going to ask you to do, Shri? I'm going, mm-hmm. to, I'm going to ask you to take us back. Take us back to where we come. We're going to reset. All of those missions have been wonderful and they've paid their dues and we wish them well in their future <laughs> jazz careers. Um, <laughs> but what we're going to do, um, the, the, the orchestra was first set up by uh, Miles Ashton, who I know you know from Ronnie's. Uh, yes. Back at the very beginning. One of my best friends, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, bestie, right? Oh, that's even really nicer, man. You can sort of pass the uh, the baton between pass you. Pass da- da- the dagger along. Yeah. <laughs> so he had, yeah, exactly. So he had his first set-up band, and I'm going to ask you to do the same. Set us up a new house band, Shri, and who would you like to be in it? Fantastic. So it's really interesting that the whole list of names that you uh, read out, I didn't have a single one of those in my list, in in my thoughts. Nah, so for me. It. For me, the rhythm section is John Bonham and Eberhard Weber. Done. Yeah. With Count Basie and his orchestra. What are you doing to my payroll? The whole orchestra? Yeah, well, okay. He, <laughs> he can just get seven of them, just the horns. Um, and and uh, John Hassel. 
playing trumpet on top. Nice. Didn't see that coming. That and I actually can he- I can actually hear it. <laughs> In fact, I I think I need to do a track like this. It's fantastic. Unbelievable. Imagine the power of Bonham with the freedom of Eberhard Weber, Count Basie flying and swinging and floating over it, and John Hassel just taking us to heaven with the whole thing. Absolute <laughs> gold. This has happened, it, and it's done. That is the new Watford Jazz Junction Fantasy House Band. We shall see what happens. And I'll be in the audience, unfortunately. (laughs) You know, they might need a a dancer. Yeah, they might need a dancer, you never know. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Thank you. So listen, Sri, it's sort of at that stage where I just want to say thank you so much for being with us on this season finale and ahead of people's summer holidays and whatnot. Um, It's been wonderful to talk, yeah. (laughs) Oh, you've been, yeah, wonderful and generous with your time and stories. Um, I'd love to know also, though, what you've got coming up on the horizon, if people want to hear you or, or, or keep up to speed with what you're up with what's going on uh well a couple of things is uh, still um hoping to play the letter um uh, concerts with Boogie Wesseltoft and uh and and Asaf Sirkis and 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 the horn player with Tora Brunberg or Ben Castle um uh, I've also suddenly started uh, uh, sort of almost accidentally started a duo with Dennis Rollins which is very cool and we are really enjoying it and and we are hoping to be playing more we're playing uh, in Leeds uh, on 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 the 17th might be playing Marsden Jazz Festival and a few things like that and and suddenly it's taken on a life of its own you know without even trying which is which is quite cool, yeah. I mean, the Watford Jazz Junction has already booked you and Dennis, I would point out to, to, to listeners, That's right. for, for, for May 2022. But if you want a sneak yes. peek, get your good selves down to Marsden, if, if that comes off. We like Marsden Jazz Festival. Um, and we like all the jazz festivals, of course. Um, and if people want to keep up to speed with your news, is it like shri.co.uk? What's your website? Yes, generally shri.co.uk. I mean, my, my website's been a bit slightly static because I, I kept putting upcoming gigs and taking them yeah. off and upcoming gigs and taking them off. I mean, I was supposed to be in Romania today playing playing uh, playing the letter with Booger Wesseltoff today, but uh, because of all these COVID complications, we had to cancel it. Um, oh, and But yeah, so, but, but yeah, but the, the website is... is is the best place to find most information. Well, Romania's loss is uh, Watford's gain today because you've been an absolute gem of a guest <laughs> and we've loved chatting. Um, if you've Fantastic. liked what you've listened to, um, subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And if you thought, oh, I know a friend who might like that, why not ping them a, ping them a link and, and, a, and a recommendation to listen as well. Um, if you want to know more about the Watford Jazz Junction, check out our website at watfordjazzjunction.com or follow us on all of our various social media or email us at jazzwatfordlive at gmail.com, but only to say nice things. So we'll be taking a summer break now, but we will be back in September with more wonderful guests. Keep on listening, don't forget to keep your ears fresh, and always connect with something new. So it's goodbye, lovely listener. It's goodbye, Shree. Bye, Chris. <laughs> and it's happy summer holidays, you all. Stay safe. <laughs>